Surge. I'm joined again by Hambone. We are here for another excellent edition, if I so so myself, of My Thai Happy Hour, the greatest weirdo pop culture podcast in the world, if I do say so myself again. Humble brag. You know, I can do humble, humble brags. We're, we're taping in my basement. This is like as low DIY as it gets. Yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm I'm fully supportive of this humble brag. We are the greatest podcast in the yeah, universe. Yeah, I mean, pod, pop culture for weirdos. For weirdos. I think that's our new tagline. I like it. I think it works pretty well. Trademark that. Yeah, I will do that. I've actually been thinking about if I redo and I start doing weddings again, if I start shooting weddings, I'm thinking of changing the name of the company till, true, till death do us part and just having it be a crossbone with, like, the lightning bolt through it and just be like, I'm just going to go all in on us being a a weirdo wedding photographer so I no longer get like those mothers of the bride that I've wanted to kill myself over for the last three, four years. Well, a couple things I just want to say real quick. I think at this point, anyone who hires you knows exactly who they're getting into bed with. I, I hope so. But I would I, hope. I don't know. I don't know. The other thing is, man, I'm glad you recorded this because you are spitting fire tonight. Oh, you got yeah, some great yeah. ideas. I'm thinking tr- till death to us part. I mean, it hit me while I was driving home. So we have an excellent guest with us today. It's Dave. Uh, you wear many, many bands, mostly that we know of is Dog Eat Dog. And the seminal local, I found out, you were in Mucky Pup, yeah. which which I remember from WSOU and all the ads for, for all those weird clubs. Remember the clubs back in the day? Like, oh, yeah. Like the Limelight, but also like Studio One. Studio One, Birch Hill. There was the other one, Aldo's. You guys Aldo's. didn't play Aldo's. That wasn't the type of place that you guys would no, play. Was we played, um, I mean, we were like at the uh, China Club. China Hillsdale, yep. which was like kind of where we all met in the, the old days. We're talking like mid 80s. Um, that was uh, I was not in Mucky Pup yet, but that's where they were playing. And uh, also in the Bergenfield area A- after the late 80s, when, you know, Doggy Dog started in like 90, 91, it was like Studio One Pipeline. The Newark area. Oh yeah, that that's where like the real scene. That's where we really like came up. And New York, of course, but in Jersey, that was where it was happening. I, I only went to. I've only been to the pipeline once, sadly, really? before it closed. We only got there once because nobody wanted to leave their car there. Right after our friend Chris had it, like literally, just punched the window and stolen the car, gone. I couldn't get anybody to want to actually drive to so, the pipeline. You talk about Bueller? No, no, I wasn't friends with Bueller yet. Okay. It was a friend you don't know. I don't know many of them. But uh, Studio One... Well, Studio One is interesting, and I think you could probably speak to this too, Dave. Like, Pipeline had more of the punk shows. Studio One had more hardcore shows. Metal. Yeah, more metal, metal shows. Like, yeah. a lot of, lot of metal. So I never actually went to Studio One to see a show. I've been there afterwards drinking, I think it was Tequila Joe's, by the time I finally made it to Studio okay. One. Because I was going to the punk shows because I was more afraid I was going to get my ass kicked if I went to Studio One. So Dave's here. Hambone is here as always today. We're going to talk about we're going to talk to Dave about Dog Eat Dog. We're going to talk about his his horror movies. We're going to talk about his horror movie soundtracks that he's working mm-hmm. on. We're also going to talk about our favorite uh, horror movies that have been recreated, reimagined, remade. Right. Which ones are good? Which ones are bad? Which ones we think are worth checking out? And we're also going to talk about our favorite local. This is kind of hard because you know we're based in New Jersey, so we really only go to tri-state. What favorite horror? Uh, horror places like haunted ha- houses and haunted prisons or whatever. Haunted hayrides are very popular now. And you know, I travel a lot for work. They are big everywhere. Every yeah. state you go to, they are catching on. Like where it's five years ago I would travel and you would not see them kind of anywhere. Like maybe a town here and there would have their, their haunted brewery. 
and that was it. But this now it's everywhere. Yeah, and there's even like those weird like rapey ones that you have to like wait. You don't even have to pay to get into. You have to wait for years to get on a guest list, and you like they torture you. They like legit torture you in them. Yeah, I'm waiting never been to one of those. That. Not really into that either. You know, uh, not. But we could talk about that a little bit. Uh, but first, we've got a cocktail. So we did this cocktail last year. However, I'm doing it again because I've refined it some. I've learned from my mistakes last year, one of which is don't drink too much of this cocktail. Boy, howdy, you're going to hate yourself on November 1st. This is my Ecto Cooler recipe. Now, growing up as a kid in the 80s, we loved the Ghostbusters. High C made a Ecto Cooler that was not actually green. It was orange. It was an orange and tangerine flavored juice. And I'm using juice in air quotes here because it came in a metal metal tin, a little metal oil drum. However, it's a flavor that I've, I've loved Ever since I was a kid, I thought I'd never get to have again. The all-female Ghostbusters movie came out. They re-released Ecto Cooler. I got my lips around it, and I thought, I can do this. I can come up with my own alcoholic version, which is going to be an awesome thing to throw at a Halloween party, and I did. So this is my version of it. First things first, go to your local stop and shop or supermarket and get a gallon jug for water. Get one with the pour spouts on it. Now, this is important. It's going to have a handle and a pour spout on it because throughout the course of the night, you're going to want to shake this up a little bit. You're going to want to fill it completely with ice. This is a drink you definitely want to drink cold, and it's something that the ice is going to help water it down through the course of the night. So it's not going to be perfect right when you first make it. It's going to be perfect about an hour later when you should start to drink it. So what you're going to do is you're going to fill it up with ice. You're going to put in about 32 ounces of orange juice. You're going to put in a 750 milliliter bottle of vodka. Now, in the past, I would recommend getting a pack of orange flavor aid or tangerine flavor aid. This time, you're going to want to get the orange flavor aid or orange Kool-Aid. Use tangerine vodka. So you could find yourself a 750 milliliter bottle of tangerine vodka. Now, this is important. Is it because Acta Cooler pretty much is orange drink, right? It's orange drink, and it's a mixture of orange and tangerine. However, in the years past when I made it, I would go get tangerine juice, and tangerine juice is so overpowering. Mm-hmm. This way you are going to get that hint of tangerine in the vodka. So there's three vodka companies out there that make tangerine-flavored vodka. One's Finlandia. The other one is Vale, which is a little harder to find. And when in doubt, Skinny Girl Tangerine Vodka from the Real Housewives of New Jersey. It'll work in a pinch. <laughs> so you can do that. So you start with that. You put the, bo- the vodka in there. You normally would put in blue and green food coloring. I'd recommend green food coloring and using about two ounces of blue carousel to add a little extra orange flavor to it uh, to actually cut down on the flavor, even the tangerine that you've put in there already. You are going to want to put in a half cup of Country Time lemonade powder. Hmm. Not the pink one. You want to go with the actual just straight lemonade. And then you can't get around using sugar. So you're going to use about a, a cup and a half of Actual granulated a, sugar. A cup and a half per drink, or is this a... a this, this is a whole... Okay. This is a party drink, yeah. Okay, this is, a, this is a, a punch. It's a punch. I normally would whip this out during the month of punch. However, it's topical for Halloween. Could you do simple syrup instead of just, like, raw sugar? You could. However, to kind of give it that more authentic flavor, you kind of just need the raw sugar. Now, that's why I said you want to get the gallon jug with the handle on it, because you're going to shake this throughout the course of the night. A lot of the sugar is just going to dissolve in the mix, but in case it does separate a little bit, a couple good shakes will jiggle everything to where it needs to go. So you're going to want to add in some green food coloring and just keep dropping it in there. Shake it up, drop some more in until you hit the color that you want. It is going to be 
somewhat horrific looking. It's going to be delicious. Make sure you have a Gatorade waiting for you the next day because it might kill you. There you go. And that is articulate. Look, so I, I would like to say you've pretty much created, you've perfected this drink over a year. I, I think everybody should go out. If you go to a Halloween party, this is what you should make. Everybody's looking for punches. You struggle to find good recipes online. Yeah. Hambones Ecto Cooler. I will tell you, though, I started making this a, a few years back, and I'm going to the annual Lopez Halloween party this weekend. It's been banned from their party. People had a little too much fun on the Ecto Cooler. I like how you, you were talking about the the gallon, the, the, the cylindrical, the one that's actually in the metal thing. I've n- I haven't seen those since I was a child. We would just get the sip ones that you would yeah. pop the button and pour in, and that probably would take forever. Well, because you, you needed a church key yeah. to open up the cylindrical. And they were and like, <laughs> you know, who has a church key anymore? Uh, thank you very much. So, again, we have a lovely friend, uh, Dave. Is it Niebuhr? Yep, that's exactly uh, right. Dave Niebuhr. My last name's Coronius. So I I'm, I struggle with you know whether those vowels are silent or not. Yeah. So I get it. You were in Doggy Dog. You're founder of Doggy Dog. Yeah. Played bass in them. You were also in Mucky Pup. Right. You're also a huge horror movie aficionado and creator of soundtracks. I actually have your. I mean, I'm going to run through this a little bit. You've uh, created the uh, and I, this I my script the Lucio Fulci a symphony for fear of fear tribute album. Yeah, Lucio Fulci. He's a, a god of Italian horror movies and. One of the kings of gore. His movies are notorious, but uh, he's like, you know, a god to me. So that was the first project that I was involved with that featured the music of Lucio Fulci and would continue further. And you also went on to actually direct a few short films, uh, Real Fear, I Love Susie, Hayride to Hell. You could tell I just hate Wikipedia hard, uh-huh. Lunch Date, Jason Hurts. Deb- I mean, you got, you've been consistently making horror movies for the last decade. Right. Um, I, we're, let's talk a little bit about your horror movies first. Let's talk a little about horror. This is Halloween, and mm-hmm. this is that time of year. Yep. It seems like something you're passionate oh, about. Yeah. Hamlin, you can jump in. I actually went hard, but you please interject when you'd like. I'm, I'm here to bring the pepper, baby. Just because you know yeah. I can talk. I know. Uh, I, I guess, why did you decide to create your own horror movies? Actually, the thing I'm most interested in was doing soundtracks, but I didn't know anyone that was making any movies at the time. So I decided, well, if I made some movies, I could do the soundtracks to them. That was actually what pushed me to do that. Um, So I had made a couple of little short films, and then I was doing pretty well with Doggy Dog and had a little extra income. So I said, well, I think uh, maybe making a short film would be a good time now. This, This was in like 99, I guess. I had been writing scripts with a friend, and I thought, okay... I, I originally was going to do a full-length feature and then realized that there's no way I could do it. So we, we I started doing short films. And I just said, you know what? I'm going to just do this for like a decade. And let's see what happens. And that decade came and went, and I made a whole bunch of short films, and I realized there's not a lot of ways to make money with them. So it's a passion project. It's fun to do. Um, but it's a lot of work and, and a lot of time. And then... If there's not a lot of kind of, it's not payback, but I mean, if you put it on YouTube and only a thousand people watch it and you worked for like months on this thing, right. it's like, is it worth doing? And I just kind of shifted back into making music again uh, after that. And one day I'm going to go back to short films, but right now I'm, I'm things with music are really going well for me. So I think um, I'll call that 10 year period of short films my film school. I learned a lot. I learned how to edit. I learned how to shoot. I learned a lot. I can apply that to my dream full-length feature one day. 
Um, so I'm okay. I'm good. So uh, let's talk about that for a second. I think that's an amazing thing because you found success playing in rock and roll bands. You found real true love making these movies. You went back to rock and roll, which is it's it's almost like a renaissance for you. How cool is it for you that now when you will go back to filmmaking, technology is what it is. The ability to create and distribute is it's night and day for what it was from when you started making independent movies. Absolutely. I mean, the technology is is through the roof and people I know who I worked with on my films back then are advanced in the film industry as well. So there's a lot of perks that I could get and connections that I have already. So it one day it'll it'll work out for me. I'm I'm sure it's my destiny, even if it's the last thing I ever do to make a, a full length um, movie. But yeah, the band thing, uh, it's 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 been steadily getting better all the time. And uh, it just even if I wanted to make short films, I don't even have the time anymore. Right. So. Uh, yeah, things are going well. Where did this, the soundtracks been? You said you made movies so you could do horror soundtracks. Right. Are you still doing horror soundtracks? Yeah, so I did the soundtracks to all my short films, mm -hmm. pretty much, except for one uh, where I just didn't have the time to do it. But um, uh, let's see. I then, a friend of mine made a feature film, and he asked me, can you do the opening title sequence to my movie? And I was like, oh, yeah, definitely. So I recorded that. And then um, I got asked to do the soundtrack to a documentary called Lucio Fulci um, Remembered, Volume 1. It's on Amazon, and it's, it's out there. And it's basically just interviews with everyone who worked with this director. And the guy who directed the documentary said, I heard the first thing that we talked about, A Symphony of Fear. I'd like for you to do that for my movie. That was five songs. It came out really well. I was really excited about the experience of making this thing. So years later after that, the comic book company, Ibon Press, mm -hmm. called me and said, I love the soundtrack that you did for that Fulci movie we'd be interested in working with you to do soundtracks for our horror comic books based on the same thing. So it's like every project I did just led to another one. And there's no plan, but it's nice to know that, you know, people hear it, like it, and trust me enough to come in and, and do more. So um, that's what's happening right now. I'm about to go into the studio and start a new record based on soundtrack music. Mm -hmm. John Carpenter, Goblin, awesome. Fabio Fritzi, uh, Tangerine Dream, influences of mine. And now I've got the freedom to and the technology and the producer to finally go in and make this album I've been wanting to make for a long time now. And Doggy Dog is also making new music. We're about to, our new EP comes out um, November 30th. We have worldwide distribution. We just signed a new record deal. With who? It's a German label. It's a subdivision. The The main organization is called Flying Dolphin, mm -hmm. and we're signed to Metalville. And Ugly Kid Joe are on them and some <laughs> other bands as well. But uh, we, we're really happy. I mean, we were on Roadrunner Records for many years, and it started out great. And during our biggest period, they were there. But at the end, a lot of staff changed, and we got kind of forgotten about. And we weren't really happy with the experience that we had. So we were really reluctant to sign with another label. But Metalville made us great offer and said all the right things that we wanted to hear. You got the Slipknot shuffle. I feel like a lot of the Roadrunner bands that were the hardcore bands at the time – 
uh, some of the bands, I, like I think Madball was on there, weren't they? Or yeah. 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 Those bands came on right as the whole Slipknot thing got huge. I feel a lot of them got shuffled a little bit based on the fact that the sound of the time was changing a lot. I also think that a lot of that had to do with the universal Vivendi shakeup of yeah. the time where labels were getting acquired, labels were going out of business. I mean, I was an intern for AM Records around that time and I really wanted a job but like we can't hire anybody because we don't know what's going on with the label there's a hiring freeze going on and a lot of smaller labels and some larger labels with larger footprints got eaten up yeah yeah into- well that's what happened in 2000 I believe it was Warner Brothers and Roadrunner that's it. And we were in the middle right there, and that's exactly when we got off the label. And that's what happened to DreamWorks when they got absorbed by Interscope and AFI was yes. on there. And right, no, not Rise Against uh, Rollins Band was Rollins on. There's a lot of really good bands that kind of just got absorbed. And some, I mean, AFI is still doing well on it. They're still on whatever Interscope has. But it was weird when they sw- everyone's being gobbled up. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about um, Doggy Dog. I, uh, so I was telling I was telling Amoni before uh, that I was at a uh, work event before I came here. I'm like I gotta leave a little bit early because I need to uh, go home. I'm interviewing uh, the bass player of Dog Eat Dog for my Thai Happy Hour, and you saw every 44 mid 40 year old in the room, male, just light up, just light up. And uh, everyone, every millennial, every under 30 and uh, 33 and under just looked at me like, yep, no idea. I'm glad you have uh, musical guests we haven't heard of there. But all of a sudden, one of the directors, uh, Kevin, whips out his phone. He goes, no, you need to hear what these guys sound like because they were ahead of their time. And he fires up. uh, He fires up no fronts. And starts playing it to a couple 30, 31 year olds who were just like, wow, this was like before everything changed. Yeah. And so I just thought it was very funny because I, as soon as he told me he was friends with you, I'm like, I have a very vivid memories of Dog Eat Dog and a period of my life where I wanted to listen to a more aggressive sound that didn't sound like Cookie Monster vocals. Right. Like, I just couldn't get into the New York hardcore at the time, but I was loving what you were doing, what Rage Against Machine was doing, even some of the Beastie Boys stuff were doing at the time. I considered that all downset. Uh, it was a it was a time where I that's what I considered hardcore. Right. It was hardcore rap, I guess, but that was before hardcore rap turned into gangster rap. Right. So it was more we considered hardcore rap, basically, uh, you know, hip hop vocals against rock and roll punk rock sound. Yeah. Um, which I think was fair to say at the time that's what it was in Europe. That was called crossover. Mm-hmm. It was. I think it was called Germany. Cross- definitely, everything's called crossover when there's hip hop vocals on heavy uh, music. Biohazard was the poster child yeah. for that. That was the time. So you guys released. Uh, I remember the Warrant EP, which mm-hmm. was the joke was with Warren yeah. at the time. Even though I actually think one of the best Warrant albums was Dog Eat Dog. Just putting it out there, they decided to become hard for a minute. Yeah. No, no, no. There was. I swear that was the one Warrant album. I remember when I was like eighth grade. I'm like, this was actually pretty. Like they're trying to like be grunge and it, it didn't really work but yeah just putting that out there yeah. you did all borough kings that was just i didn't realize it was that big of an album because it was huge where we lived and i didn't realize just how far that reach was because sou and our life was wsou seen all part radio at the time played that to death but it also gave us a new sound um I'm just trying to go through your history really fast. You know, No Fronts, Huge, Who's the King was my favorite song off the album. Um, and every time, I remember every time Murphy's Law played the area, if you guys were around, your horn player would get on stage and play the Murphy's Law. Murphy's Law wouldn't play their sax stuff right. unless he they had a horn player and it would always be your guy if you were just like in the area. Anyway, 
Um, I guess the big question I have right now is, is there was a period in time after that second full length album that you guys kind of disappeared, but you actually became bigger than ever overseas. Everybody's like Doggy Dog went to Germany and became the biggest band in Germany. Yeah. And I, I just kind of want to get some idea of what happened to Doggy Dog after Doggy Dog was big over here. Well, the sequence of events was when Allboro King's record came out, we went to Europe with Biohazard. This was spring of 94 into the summer. And they were like peaking at that time. And we basically were playing to like sold out audiences every night opening for Biohazard and we were killing it. So by the time that tour ended, like every metal fan and hard rock fan in Europe had seen Doggy Dog play. Then we got a slot on the Dynamo Festival in Holland, which was to 120,000 people. And it was basically the pinnacle time for all of the bands that we talked about before, Downset, Biohazard, Life of Agony, Typo Negative. We all played this festival and it was like the 90s in a time capsule right then there. And we killed that show. We did something that you know hadn't been seen, the amount of people. There's a DVD of the show that's out there. It's all over YouTube and you can see, I mean, we, even we couldn't believe the reaction. The next thing that happened was MTV played us so heavily and we ended up winning an MTV award in 1995 in Europe. That's awesome. We beat Alanis Morissette, Weezer, and Portishead for best new uh, breakthrough artist. And you didn't even have to cover Toto. No, and I would have. <laughs> uh, but basically after that it was like the next record play games came out and in europe it was just like it was huge so we were playing you know big shows in europe we tried to tour the u.s in 96 for the play games record we went on tour with 311 and no doubt um in 95 i'm sorry and then in 96 we played a few more shows with uh with no doubt and i think we played with biohazard but basically we just stayed in europe and and played every place in europe and then it took us three years to come out with another record. And by the time that record came out, it never even came out in the US. The world and changed. It, yeah, it was like we waited way too long. We were doing really well. Our audience had changed a lot between 94 and 96. Like even in that short period, we went from hardcore skateboard street kids to like by the 90, late 96, we were playing in front of like teeny bopper girls because we were so overplayed on MTV that, right. you know, basically, it was beyond the control of the original fans anymore. And yeah, then there was a little bit of a backlash in Europe where we had a kind of lay low for a minute. And yeah, it's like, if you wait long enough, everything's going to come back. Yeah. And then basically everything did come back for us. We're talking in the last four years, things have been getting better and better. And then all of a sudden a new label and like a new EP and, uh, you know, your core audience is there and now they have kids that are like 20 years old. They're bringing us shows and they're like, you know, you've got two generations now sitting in front That's of you. So it's cool. pretty incredible because we didn't give up. And even if you have a low point, you just continue and you play your best. And here we are. The band's been around 28 years now. I think that's solid advice for for any kind of uh, artistry. You know, you just got to keep your head down, keep slugging through, keep at it. It's really interesting that a lot of people forget that there is a world outside of the United States when it comes to any kind of artistry, music, filmmaking, anything, because when you guys were hitting, SOU was like the, the biggest thing. And, and we would listen to SOU. My friend Mario, who used to be a DJ there, 
Maricomas Thomas, he was breaking bands like left and right. And we're like, oh man, this band must be like the biggest thing in the world because they're getting played on this station. And then you'd leave the state and you'd find out, wow, they are. They are. People are really catching on. This people are are really into something like this. And then when it dies down here, you know, a lot of bands they disappeared, but they go to Europe. Yeah. And in Europe it's like, no, we still like music and we're we're not as fickle as the American audience where we got we like a band, we're going to stick to our guns, we're going to keep liking this band. It doesn't it's not to say that they don't embrace change as much as they do in the United States. It just doesn't move as quickly and it gives you more time to kind of plant roots and I, plant seeds. I absolutely agree with you and proof of that is we just did six shows with Limp Bizkit in Germany. They're huge. Oh yeah. Huge. I mean, I know they they're still known around the world. They sold 40 million records, but I just didn't think that I had no idea. So they called us and it was like 7 to 10,000 people a night. That's amazing. It's funny cuz in the 60s I remember bands you'd have to if you wanted to break, they said, well, the thing you need to do, if you can't get over in the United States, you need to go to Europe. You need to go to Europe because people are like, oh, man, they're, they're doing or, something. Or Japan. Or Japan. Yeah. They're, they're overseas. They must be, something must be going on. Now it's like, oh, no, you can just go overseas and make a living and be a musician and have a following over there still. It's not like, oh, you needed the UK or Europe in general to get over in the United States and then just, bye, guys, we're going home. It's like, no, we can, we can go there and we can stay there. I mean, I think the, the music industry in europe as far as being let's say an underground band right you have a much better chance in europe their system the way they have it set up their club system promotion everything i mean it's it's as good as a you know america or better i mean because i'm seeing a lot of bands here struggling and i'm seeing a lot of bands there that actually putting out records and and touring a lot even a smaller band is able to like set up strings of shows and do it so that's and, awesome and i i love it over there it's you know i've spent this is my 30th year touring over there and i, I can say i've watched it change but it's they like you said before they when they love a band in europe they love you i mean metal bands from 35 years ago are still oh, packing yeah. clubs you know? the, the festival the open air festivals that they do out there oh, yeah. with like bands that you're like, why? I, I didn't even think they were still a thing, but yeah, they're they're a thing, well, and it's awesome. Well, that's why Psychobilly does so well out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why bands like the Coffin Cats, the bands we love, they do much better and bigger shows overseas in the UK and Germany and even Greece, places like that, than they do here because, yeah, it's it just, while music is so easily distributed now, I find that the the club culture, the show culture it has died a little bit, and that's why I want to talk to you about the first time I ever saw you. So the first time I saw you guys... This was the weirdest bill I may have ever seen, and that's why I remember it to this day. And I think it was because two shows were canceled and they merged them together. It was at the Irving Plaza. It was December 21st, 1st, 1995. It was a Christmas show, yeah. and it was Shelter, yeah. Dog Eat Dog, Weston, mm -hmm. H2O, and Vision of Disorder. What? Yeah. Yeah, it, it was, and there may have been there may have been a hip hop artist too that was also a hardcore group. I'm blanking on their name, but I feel like there's these big Samoan rappers that also prefer opened it up. But I could be wrong. I don't remember that. But all the bands that you, you mentioned, mentioned? I, not only do I remember that show perfectly, but it's immortalized on Friends. It, it uh, is. There's an episode mean? called "The One with the Donor," uh -huh. and there's a poster for that show in the background. It's all over the internet. <laughs> if you look it up, Holy it's always crap. posted on uh, on Instagram. You, you know, you pause the mo the the show and you can see that poster. Now and I love funny, Weston. 
Yeah, the funny thing is the 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 show was ninety five, but the episode was made in two thousand and one or yeah. something. So it was, it was still like, there. Why is that post? No, it wasn't still there. It was a set. Oh, where wow. did they get that poster for oh. the set? So this show, I just remember going. I remember it being either cold. It was hard to get to it, and it was back when we didn't know we could take the subway because the subway was still a little sketchy in New York at the time. Yeah. So I believe we would walk, make our way by walking Irving Plaza from God knows from like Penn Station. We get there, and it was just this lineup was so strange and that's what was great about the scene in like 1995 because you could go to backyard shows and see hardcore bands and punk rock bands and rockabilly bands all playing together and there was never any weirdness unless there was like a token straight edge band that would cause problems like it was an earth crisis show and things were going weird but that show in particular i just remember toby from h2o coming out in a full Santa outfit with like the rest of his band members, like have, holding him on a sleigh coming in while they're playing jingle bells or something. It was just an incredible night. Yeah. And I don't remember, did you headline or was that shelter headlining? Um, uh, shelter was a headliner. Uh, I can tell you about that show a little bit. It was yeah. Howie Abrams was the guy who signed dog eat dog to Roadrunner. He also signed VOD. And I'm, if I'm not mistaken, he sounds signed there. Shelter. Mantra, Mantra was on yeah. Roadrunner Records. Yep. That's what I was thinking right. of. So we had basically three Roadrunner bands playing together because they were all, you know, associated with Howie. H2O was friends of everybody back then as well. So I, Weston is the one I'm not sure how, you know, that they ended up <laughs> well, on there. That's what I was saying. Like, I love Weston. I don't know but in 1995, they were just about to release Got Beat Up in 96. They had to go over like a fart in church because I know. Wow, no, it worked. It worked. That whole How? show. VOD Did was they go on, on a, first. They might have <laughs> gone on first, so. uh, but VOD and them are like the complete polar opposites of music. But I remember Weston was huge at the time, and they didn't have an album that was worth anything. H2O, I don't think even had released their full length yet. I think they just had that single, but they got off that rancid tour, so they were hot. Right, but the kids like me, who would be going to a Weston show... Would have been weirded out. Wildly different audience than going to see VOD. Shelter? Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was so... Uh, I didn't mean to cut you off. No, but, but I mean, even Dog Eat Dog being on that show was weird. You know, I mean, it, it was definitely a, a, a good mix of all different kinds of people. I mean, Shelter fans are definitely not necessarily western fans but right everybody can be together i mean i think that's the the whole incredible thing about the scene especially in the 90s was music got so mixed up in in terms of genre but yet everyone seemed to like everything at the time it was a great great period if looking back now at the time i didn't know but you know 20 years later you can really say because the 90s yeah that's why uh so i was going through my photo albums trying to find my old doggy but i used to so i had a fan scene called life in a bungalow back then which is kind of how this spawned and I was photographing a lot of the band. So I was actually looking for old photos. I, the ones I did find were from in uh, August 1996. SOU did a 10th anniversary show. Wow. And it was crazy to think that it was 10 years yeah. old. Like SOU's been, you just think SOU's been around since the dawn of time. And they're still going strong, still playing progressive metal, not even what they're playing what the kids today listen to, which is just amazing. But uh, I remember the SU 10th anniversary show was also very hardcore heavy. There was like Mad Balls and Shelters. Doggy Dog was on the side stage, I remember, yeah. with Orange Nine uh -huh. Millimeter, that's I right. think. Um, Misfits but, played that show. So that, and that's what I want to bring up for you. I don't know why I'm bringing this up because I don't shut up. That was the Misfits show. <laughs> that was the Misfits show where Michael Graves and Dr. Chud were nowhere to be found. Like they were just like missing and. Doyle and Jerry only went up there and just were opening the set. And I don't think Michael, like, then Dr. Chet eventually showed up. Jerry only, like, sang the first song, and Michael Graves finally made his way 
onto the set at some point. The crowd was just like, what the hell's going on here? This is very strange. And that was the beginning of the end yeah. for that version of the Misfits. It was sad, but like I just remember seeing that and being like, oh, this is not this is not looking very good for that. They actually went on for a while afterwards, but that was I just remember that was just very strange. Well, that show, I mean, the lineup on that show is legendary. I mean, if you look back, every band is like a, a band that had records out or, you know, was known. We were low on the bill. I was happy to be on it at the time. But I mean, right. I look at the ad now once in a while, someone posts it and I see it again. And I'm like, wow, that really was a hell of a bill. Sick of yeah. all and Fear Factor. Uh, I don't even remember. There was a lot of those. Re- there was some very heavy. I call it death metal, but it isn't nowadays. Very dark metal type stuff. And then you had a lot of hardcore, hardcore on like even on the main stage. The Misfits were on the main stage. Live Sick of It All was on the main stage too, and they looked really weird because the Paramount at the time had a very huge stage, and these bands didn't have huge sets. Right. So the bands on the main stage looked way stranger than the bands on the side stage. <laughs> yeah. And the side stage was inside the Paramount. Yeah. It was like catty cornered, so it was very. I can't even explain this show. So by, when I when we did we did the surf the original Surf and Skate Festival yes. uh, with Pensy Prep, we were on the stage in the Wong hallway at the Paramount, and. It's crazy. Were you was that with the Descendants and Dropkick Murphys? I don't remember who was the headliner and they of had, that one. They had the weird stage in the middle of the hallway, That's, the main area. Yep. No, they had a stage literally. They had a the big stage. They had the stage catty cornered in the Paramount. Oh wow! It was or the convention hall. Oh wow! Yeah, you've so got the lineup. You can see uh, who was on that. Oh wow! So I was Fear Factory was on it. I was thinking of who was that? Yeah, like Biles. I didn't know them. There was Propane, Overkill. That's right. Like there was legit metal yeah. metal bands, but there was also H two O, Sick of It All, Orange Nine Millimeter. That's impressive. Good stuff. That's uh, what Europe was like uh, at the time. You yeah. Know? So it was a taste of what was going on over there. All these bands together. So talk to us a little about what you guys are up to these days. I know you released two albums after after uh, uh, Play Games. Right. Play Games, I love. Cool. But I just want you to know that. I know that was the weird the album that some people torn the scene apart, torn the scene apart. I loved Rocky. Yeah. Uh, that was one of my favorite songs back then. It reminded me of Gruesome Gary by Down by Law, which was also that kind of fun, like yep. upbeat, like punk rock song. Yeah. It was very punk rock right. for Dog Eat Dog. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a Dave thing. So, uh, you know, that was my nickname. So one day I came up with this idea and I got to practice earlier than the singer did. And I showed the band the idea with me singing and there it just turned into the one song that I'm singing. It wasn't a planned thing, but it turned out to be a hit song and one that we play on every show now. And it's fun. And just this morning I saw a video on, on Instagram of a, a young, I won't say baby, but really young kid dancing and singing along to Rocky and it made me feel really great. It's like, wow, that's all I'm talking about. It's like this kid's father must just love us and played this song so many times that this kid like actually knows it. And that's the point uh, when you do your shows now, when you are singing that song, I think uh, one of your road guys brings out the 10 pounds of gold, the <laughs> NWA replica title, <laughs> and you uh, you hoist it over your head proudly. Yeah. Because that's, I mean, that's we're, your, um, your champ. Doggy Dog is actually becoming connected uh, to the wrestling scene um, in Germany. We've had quite a few German wrestlers, pro wrestlers on our stage and in our backstage recently. Awesome. So this is happening. I was telling you, uh, I was talking to you from Greece. Yeah, uh, we were talking on Instagram Messenger. And Thessaloniki recently. I saw that. Yeah. yeah, And uh, John had posted uh, from being at this event 
What was it? I was at All In in uh, in Chicago. So I I show the your picture to my tour manager Daniel, who's the one who's connected with wrestling in Germany, and he was like, "Oh my God, I know all of that. I know who that is. I know who that is. He knows everything." And I was like, "Tell that guy like he didn't know you, but all of a sudden he's like, that guy's cool. Whoever you're talking to." Yeah, and man. we had a little conversation uh, for while I'm at the dinner table and in Greece and you're at a wrestling event. Yeah. <laughs> day, dr- day drinking and hanging out with dudes in spandex. That's awesome. What are the but... crowds in Greece like? Because oh, well. they love metal over there. I mean, they, metal is still like, they're really into that. The Salmoniki is more of a, uh, I think of it more of a, like the Williamsburg of Greece. Right. It tends to have more of the younger, hipper kids. I agree. I was in Athens and then went to Thessaloniki and I, 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 I like the northern feel a yes, little bit me more. Too. It's, I mean, the culture's a little more mixed. Uh, you know, there's Czech bars and cool stuff. Um, Athens is great too, but the show in, that we played up north was was a big show. So yeah. that was a big festival event. That's really why we're there. The Athens show was kind of like, well, while we're there, we'll play a little club, hundred people. It wasn't anything. But I mean, I love the audience, and it was fun to play. It just wasn't a big event or anything. I think up north uh, we do a little bit better. But to get back to the what thing you guys we were talking now? about, yes, we. I mean, the main thing is we're touring, we're playing festivals, we're playing clubs. We made an EP on our own, released it. A record label found us, likes us. We want to re-release the EP properly. The only time anyone bought the EP was at our show. So it's more of a fan thing. This one is going to be in stores. We're distributed by Rough Trade. So yeah, yeah, we're going to definitely be able to be gotten if people want it. That's all I'm saying. I don't know how many people want to buy our records anymore. The first thing they did was put this EP out again with some live tracks on it. We tried some unplugged shows for the first time in our career. Oh, cool. And we recorded them and it was different, but it was cool. Um, it's kind of a rush playing with no distortion on it and, yeah. and still trying to get energy out of it. And it's it's fun. The audience reacted well. So we were putting three of those uh, unplugged songs on the B side of this EP. It's coming on vinyl, green vinyl. I'm really excited. It's like, you know, having a record out is really cool. And uh, we're contracted for a full length, which we're already, I would say, not just about knee deep in. We've written songs already. We've actually performed a bunch of songs from our upcoming record. So we're, let's say, halfway through writing. We still have all of 2019 to write and record it. We're recording it in Switzerland and we're basically writing wherever we can, but That's Prague cool. is our home base for our little rehearsal studio. Any plans to re-release the old Roadrunner albums properly on vinyl or anything? I'd love to get I'd love to get a copy of any of that because I don't right. even know if they came out on vinyl. They back did. Then. They all came out on vinyl. I don't even have the amped record, the 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 record after play games on it is in vi- on vinyl, but I I don't have a copy. Those were only available in Europe. Yeah. So Here's the problem. Even the new label who we asked to try to find out who's got the rights to our old record because to get off a Roadrunner, we had to give them the rights to everything. But it's been 20 years and no one knows... No one works at Roadrunner that was there. Like It's like all of this is lost. We can't figure out how to make it work. But we have people on it. Next year is the 25th anniversary of Alboro King's record. And to do like a special vinyl gatefold splatter vinyl with pictures no one's ever seen and, you know, whatever it may be, that's my dream. But the problem is, is, you know, you don't want to put something out and then all of a sudden have people from another company, you know, suing you for putting something out illegally. You have to get the rights and we don't know exactly 
how to do that yet. We're figuring it out, though. Well, man, I'll tell you. If they could solve the Golden State Killer murder after, like, 30-something <laughs> years, someone could solve your cold case. There's someone out there who could figure yeah. it out. And I like the Pensy Prep album, which only I would buy. Yeah. I, I, I think a lot of a people lot of would people get would all Bro Kings. Buy, definitely buy that. I'd love to get that fourth hardcore album that I just found out about today existed. You guys went, like, super hardcore with your fourth album and went back to, like, they according to the internet, it was more of, like, a New York hardcore-style album. Well, that was like a different band, basically. Really? Okay. It was called Allboro Kings. Oh, so so there wasn't a four. There wasn't an. Oh, are they calling Warrant the first album? I might be a little confused with my. After Amp, there wasn't another Doggy Dog album. After Amp, there was another Doggy Dog record called Walk with Me that came out in two thousand five. But the album I'm pretty sure you're referring was the Allboro Kings. Was the band called Allboro Kings? It was two thousand and two release, and we did a hardcore record. Jimmy from Murphy's Law does guest vocals on it. Uh, there's a couple other uh, guest vocals. John from Doggy Dog does a little bit, but basically it was like what should have been the follow-up to Allboro Kings instead of play games. Somewhat well, like that. I, I disagree a little bit because you guys also became huge because of what it was. So I think the right thing happened at the right time. Okay. You just went back and, you know. Right, exactly. We went back and gave the fans what they probably thought they were going to get and I really wanted to make that record too. And it was actually, to be honest with you, the Allboro Kings, just for the fun of it record is one of my, probably my favorite record that I've ever made. It's like, it was just so fast and fun to write with no rules. We were signed to Century Media Records and they just were oh, like, wow. Yeah, yeah, that was that was that was the label at the time. Yeah. Do, you want, do you want something crazy? I knew of Allboro Kings, but I thought it was just a band. You know how like there's against against the grain. There's bands that are named after, after yeah songs and albums of bands now. So I just kind of thought that was a big fan like of Doggy Dog, and created that. I didn't realize it was like a super group of. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, we wanted to do it as a Doggy Dog recording. We were actually asked to to contribute two songs to a record and the problem was is john couldn't make it and we wrote the songs without him and then we just said well we can't call it doggy dog if john's not on it so we said well let's call it allboro kings it's the thing most closely associated with doggy dog at right. the time so it just made sense to do that but yeah it was a one-off we toured europe with agnostic front and uh biohazard and that was it. We were like, we're done. You know, it was a one record, one big tour, and we all moved on. Uh, th th I can't do this joke now because he told me he just played with Link Biscuit. Because my whole thing was, if you could go back in time and and tell your younger self, you know, maybe you shouldn't go so like hard, you stick more to like New York hardcore and a little less on the hip hop stuff. You'd keep a whole generation of Limp Biscuits from coming out. But clearly, you're playing with them, so yeah. that might not that, that joke went south. Yeah, I, you know, <laughs> honestly, I it was a, a really great experience being with them because their audience is perfect for us because they accept hip hop and hard rock. So already they they like that kind of sound, and it's exactly like you were talking about before. It was like. None of the young people knew who Doggy Dog was. They all knew who Limp Bizkit was, yet they accepted us and they liked us. And we sold a lot of shirts and met them all after. So we made a lot of new fans. Yeah, and that's what's important. It was. And it was like, this is perfect for us because we're we're not going to be booed off stage or, or you know, thing thrown shit at or whatever. I mean, like people liked it. And 
we, we could make tons of new fans. If we toured all over the world with Limp Biscuit, it would be the perfect bill. Do they still throw shit over there if they don't like you? Because I, I, that was like the old Shoes. road story. Shoes. Yeah, I mean, that hasn't happened to me, but Thank yeah, God. I mean, there's definitely a lot of middle fingers up there if yeah. they don't like you, you know? So I guess what you, I guess I understand what you mean. If you hadn't gone the way you gone musically and continued the Allboro Kings type sound, you probably would have been more accepted here by what became the Limp Bizkit fans and the Corn fans. I think we would have been more accepted by like hardcore fans. I mean, I think like yeah. we started as a band that was really accepted in the New York hardcore scene, a little out of it, but but within it. I mean, all those bands, Sick of It All, Agnostic, H2O. I mean, these are bands that are are still got our back. Biohazard, Life of Agony. I mean, a lot of these New York bands. But if we had stayed hardcore, I think we would have like remained like. I don't know. I, we had to fight our way back, let's just say. But last month or two months ago, we played This Is Hardcore Fest in mm -hmm. Philly. And that was like a really incredible feeling to be asked to play that because it still means that the old fans, you know, still believe in the old hardcore songs. So uh, we played nothing but 93, 94 <laughs> tracks and gave everybody what they wanted. And now next uh, two weeks from now, we're going to play two shows one at Starland with E-Town Concrete and Nora and Agents Man, and one in uh, Brooklyn at Blackthorn, I mean, uh, Queens, Blackthorn 51. So we're going to play only old songs again. And, That's awesome. Yeah, we're going to do two more nights of it. Let's see what happens. And then slowly bring back some melodic songs, you know, if we continue to play. We'll see what happens. I think I think your fans from back then are old enough now to respect all the the whole era of it. If they're coming to see you, they respect it all. Yeah, I, I would have to believe it. We're also older and more wiser. You can handle yeah. different types of music today. Yeah, it's not like when I was growing up and I just wanted everything to sound like the Descendants for that one summer. Like I'm I'm open to everything and I, I appreciate everything now. Yeah, and what's great is now like I what I love about having you on the show tonight is that. For people who are hearing this and be like, oh, man, that'd be cool to check them out. You can actually go and check out Dog Eat Dog in two weeks yep. uh, in Queens and at the Starland Ballroom. Yeah, it's going to be cool. It's going to be quick but fun. We're doing short sets, just old school songs and just come have fun. No big deal. It's not the exact band that's in Europe because my guitar player actually lives in Switzerland. I was going to say, do you live in Germany? Do you have a house in Germany at this point? <laughs> not yet, but you know, someday I'm, I may have no choice because we're flying back and forth like crazy. It's costing a fortune to fly around. <laughs> right. uh, you know, so it's not free. Uh, but um, yeah, I mean, one day I may end up uh, over there because uh, we're doing all our work and I love it there. It's like my second home and, you know, traveling is incredible. As you say, yeah. you've been around the world. You know it. I mean, there's a lot more than U.S., but, you know, I love where we are. Home I is love, where the heart is. I do. I love Jersey. I love New York. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. We're going to switch topics a little bit. Go back to the horror. Go back to the horror. Uh, though, though I want you to note those dates. If you're free, maybe we should go check out some Doggy Dog. Oh, yeah, definitely. November 2 and 3. Yep. yep, I'm no longer going to Disney in November. I'm going December, so we can figure we'll, that we'll out. We're definitely making Maybe one of those for my shows. Birthday, you know, we, we go we'll check I'll, it out. I'll, I'll treat you right. I'll, I know you're not into the hardcore sometimes. No, but, but, I, I but like, I'm into Dave. I know, thank you, you. and that's all that matters. Are. And you know, <laughs> I'm psyched. I'm I'm so psyched because we've talked in the past, and I'm like, oh, I'd love to see you. You're like, well, you kind of have to. Go to Prague. You should have seen my face where he's like, I'm friends with Dave. He's in a band called Doggy Dog. And I'm like, you know a guy from Doggy Dog who's been holding out on me? You oh, asshole. I, I think everybody. I was like, awesome. no. You I mean, like, I was a child, but they were great. 
Anyway, horror movies. We talked yeah. We talked last week about our favorite horror movies of the year. I'm going to throw one question at you, Dave. Um, what do you feel, what are your thoughts on, on modern horror, knowing that there's like kind of this renaissance now of smarter, more sophisticated, sometimes a little too artsy-fartsy uh, horror that's, that's so far different from the 80s, but really, really changing what horror movies is? The majority of modern horror does not agree with me, mm-hmm. but movies like Hereditary are breaking through. I, I really loved Mandy. I thought that was incredible. <laughs> um, if that's the future, I'm good with that. You know, keep making movies like that. Uh, I know I, I heard your podcast on A Quiet uh, Place, which I thought was very well made. It was good. It didn't scare me or anything, but it ended on a really good note. I and, thought it's a good monster movie. Yeah. And I, I'm really open minded. I just, I really appreciate film as art. And if you can make something that's entertaining at the very least, I'm pretty good with it. I watch a lot of trash. I watch a lot of low budget. I'm very accepting of all genres, everything, but I really think uh, the new modern stuff to, you know, all in all, it just doesn't excite me. I watch it and I say, Hey, that was pretty good. Or maybe I got a little jump or whatever, but I don't go to the theater anymore. I used to go to the theater constantly and see movies. And now I just have no interest. I'm going tomorrow to see Halloween that I wouldn't miss. But I mean, for the most part, it's I can usually just wait and, and catch it on uh, Redbox or Netflix. So let's talk about that real quick before we get into the remake. We're not thing. going deep on Mandy, though. We already we go. Uh, yeah, yeah. You know how I feel. <laughs> Di- divisive was an understatement. Make sure you listen to this week's episode. <laughs> let, let Babyface come with the hot tag here. We actually had a talk the other day uh, when we were tr- figuring out get a time to get you on the show. You actually have a really great rule for how you watch movies in the month of October. Would you mind sharing that with everybody? Yeah. I mean, I've I've kind of – at first, I kept a list of every single movie that I ever watched. Right. And I did that for 10 years straight. It was a lot of movies. Oh, I bet. But I'm very militant to myself. So even though nobody cares, I have to watch every frame of the movie, pause it if I get up. Right. For it to count. Um, so in October, I basically say I have to watch one movie per day. And for the first 15 days, I watch anything goes, anything horror. Has to be horror related. Right. But it can be anything. Um, so I usually just go to my piles of to watch, you know, and pull crap. Or I'll go to a store and I'll buy three for five dollars. What I don't even know what it is. Let's right. just put it in and let's watch it. And then like on the 15th, so we're in that period, I switch over and I do uh, more like the traditional Halloween films, movies that take place on Halloween, anything that's really scary and serious. I try not to to do any kind of like trashy low budget. I really want to feel yes. scared or Halloween. So I really try and, and watch it. I can watch modern stuff, but you know, the old favorites, tried and true, never let you down. Uh, those are usually what I stick with. So let's talk about that for a second. Let's talk about, you know, the tried and true. What happens when they remake the tried and true? Of the the remakes that they've made in the last several years, 10 years or so, what was your favorite remake of a horror movie? My favorite remake of all time will always be The Thing, John Carpenter's right. 1982 movie. That one, for me, I think is exactly what a remake is supposed to do. You take... A good idea and you just bring it into a whole nother dimension and you know and i think that's those are my favorite remakes the fly did the same thing you have this great prototype but you got this modern take on it. it was great i just don't like 
the blob was the same. I love the blob. That was that was going to be my go-to. Yeah, all and time. I think those are the most successful remakes because you got great directors and writers and everybody doing it. But it's respectful to the original, but it, it does something new. Invasion of the Body Snatchers '78 version is another one that I think is just one of the greatest remakes. I don't like unnecessary remakes, right? And I don't like remakes that um, are too closely made to the one that it's remaking. So, for instance, like Poltergeist remake is among the worst I've ever seen. And I don't want to put anything down, but it was like, why? You, it's it's so far from the original yeah. in terms of quality that it's like, why did you do this? Like, Don't try and remake a movie that's already done great. Try and make remake a movie that actually can use an updated version of. That's my what I believe. So. Right. I grew up a critic, so I'm okay making fun of art. Movies in general, because I feel movies, I feel movies have so much beyond. It's not five guys in a band that have worked their ass off, and now I'm some punk kid who's telling you your music sucks. I think with a movie, it's you have a lot of people, a lot of production, a lot of a lot of corporate in there. Right. changing and making what they think will sell tickets. Yeah. I know in the major label record business there's a lot of that too, but for the most part I think there's a big I think we can make fun of movies differently than we can right. make fun of, especially if you're remaking something because Red Red Dawn didn't need to be remade. Lord no. I'm um, then again the first Red Dawn's kind of tough to get through nowadays too. But I I found the the movies I love the the Fly was definitely on my list. The Fly the one I saw in the 80s, that was my Fly. That Scared me in ways when his head molted. I can't unsee that ever. Uh, newer ones, I thought the new Dawn of the Dead. I loved the new Dawn of the Dead. I loved it because I grew up uh, in this this more faster zombie era. The original Dawn of the Dead. I love the original Night of the Living Dead. But I found the Dawn of the Dead was just a little too hokey for me. You do say you listen, you watch a lot of the trash type zombies. So that probably fits in perfectly with you know. You see the it looks like crayon when blood splurts in that original. I didn't love oh, it, I but love the that. new one, I thought no, that wasn't Michael Bay. That was, uh, it was Snyder. A Zack Snyder with a James Gunn script. I thought it was. I loved it. I loved that they kept it in the mall. I also liked just the gross out factor, the baby, the zombie baby. I just couldn't even. I don't know if that was in the original. Was there a zombie baby no, in the original? No, it was not. I really enjoyed that one. And the other one I just want to mention is The Crazies, which very few people, I think, have seen the new version with uh, Timothy Oliphant from, from Justified. Right. And from that show, the show we're watching now that Santa I'm obsessed with. Yes, I love it. I, I find, uh, I thought that was a really, I went and saw the original Crazies. I'm like, eh. I like the new one. I like that they're not quite zombies. They're more just something went wrong and people went crazy. Right. I thought they did a good job. That was a good, that was, I mean, the original from Romero is a little rough around the edges, let's say. It's still a great movie, but I, I agree with you. The new crazies is exactly the kind of remake where it, it, warranted a little bit it's like okay george romero was shooting on a low budget he made a cool idea but maybe it wasn't like brought as as far as he could have gone had he had a bigger budget and now all of a sudden you've got that bigger budget and somebody else can can do a reimagining of what it might have been or whatever i i liked it i thought it was a good movie i own it it's in my collection so you know i don't think that many people saw the crazies i think that was a little bit the new one i think was a little under the radar what about you hambone what what have you loved so uh, he uh dave brought up the blob before which the 1988 blob to me is a perfect horror movie like a perfect 80 style we did we watched it outside uh, no that was the thing no, we watched The Blob. No, we never saw The Blob. We watched The Blob outside with Kevin I, I, Dillon. I, yeah. On a summer night, we watched The Blob. It's a perfect horror movie. It's like it's what I always loved about VHS horror from back in the 80s 
uh, in early 90s was on the back of the box, everything was like 88 minutes. And this is just, it starts, it ends, everything that happens in the middle is what a, an 80s-style horror movie should be. I'm also a big fan of the remake of Night of the Living Dead that Tom Savini made in 1990. I never saw that either, but you're going to tell me I saw it with you. No, so. no, we, we did not watch that together. <laughs> in fact, I actually... I mean, I saw Night of the Living Dead kind of as a kid, but I wasn't really paying attention to it. So when I first saw and really absorbed Night of the Living Dead, it was 1990. It was the Tom Savini version. And then I went back and I, I saw the original. And it's really cool because the 1990 version is so respectful of the original. It's a love letter where, you know, you look at you look a few years, not a few years later, eight years later, Gus Van Sant did Psycho. He did the remake of Psycho. And that was... Psycho's a perfect movie. It, it I don't movie. think anyone should remake Psycho. <laughs> it was a movie. I, I just want to say right now that Psycho is the worst film I have ever seen in my life. The original? No. no. Okay. Okay. I'm the Gus like, Van Sant oh. remake yeah. is the worst film ever. <laughs> I literally walked up to the screen when the movie ended and gave it the finger. Yeah. I have never done that before in my life and never since. That movie was so insulting. The fact that... It was just a shot for shot. And then the shower scene, the most important, you fuck up. He you know? fucked up the shower so scene. So it's like, all right, oh, I hate this movie more you. than anything. Yeah. And that's and that's the thing. Like, I, I don't mind a remake. Uh, my Bloody Valentine remake that they did. And it's funny because two of my more favorite remakes that they've made in the last bunch of years, both are like the two dudes who are in Supernatural, uh, Jensen Ackles and uh, um, Jared Padalecki. The one was in the My Bloody Valentine remake. And... Uh, Jared Padalecki was in the Friday the 13th remake that they did, which I thought was fine because they just kind of put it over the plate. And I think that for something that's trying to reintroduce a classic character to a new audience, if you respectfully do it and you just put it right over the plate so people just... It's more about just getting him up on the screen with some new, hot, younger... Fine. Unlike the Nightmare on Elm Street remake, which was... A dumpster fire. Okay, so when I mentioned Poltergeist right. <laughs> and I mentioned Psycho, yeah. uh, we just have to throw that one in there, too. The Ooh. Nightmare on Elm Street remake is among the worst atrocities ever. I mean, there's certain remakes I just have so much hatred for, and there's a whole bunch that just don't bother me. I just don't know why they exist. How do you feel about the Rob Zombie Halloween? You know, it's like... I want to, to love Rob Zombie, and I support him. I... I really do. I just, I'm not going to lie and say I love his Halloween movies. Sometimes you have a, a character that's perfect the way they are. So that was going to say, you said it best where you're like, there's movies can be improved upon. Either they didn't have the special effects right at the time, it was a little slower for the time, but there are masterpieces that shouldn't be touched. Yeah. And, uh, you know, here I'm talking Psycho, I'm talking Chainsaw Massacre, the original Chainsaw Massacre. It doesn't need to be remade ever, even though I heard the newer one was pretty good. They're the one. Like, I don't know, I was reading a top 10 best remake just to get refresh my mind. The one with Jessica Biel? Maybe, from the, I from don't From around know. that time, from the 90s? But it doesn't matter. 2000s? Chainsaw is a perfect movie. Psycho, perfect movie. Yeah. You don't, Nightmare on Elm Street, do you, like, he's still, do we really need to remake Nightmare on Elm Street? It's just, we have New Nightmare. That one was good. That was a yeah. remake, and it wasn't even, it was still Robert Eglin. Like, yeah. it's, it's, yeah. I just, there's stuff you just don't need to talk, like, The Bird should never be remade. But it will be. It will be. Yeah. And it that, will be. Everything will be. That's the problem is people just aren't coming up with fresh ideas. If if certain companies like A24, they're doing really good work. I mean, 
a little off topic, but a ghost story. You saw that one? Not yet. It's on my list. Okay. Well, it absolutely blew me away. I mean, it's the kind of movie I'm so glad that somebody's making. It's 90% of people are going to go, what the hell am I watching and turn it off? And that's what I want. I want to, I want a movie that's challenging and rewarding. And that movie did it for me. And I think that's a a great way to describe it is challenging. I I just, on the last episode, I was talking about how I, I saw uh, Hereditary. My favorite of the year, by the way. I am still so uncomfortable having watched that movie, and I want to watch it again, but I don't want to watch it again. But I know there's things I, I want I missed because I was so like, like I have goosebumps talking about it, and that's that's what horror should be, yeah. you know, helplessness, discomfort. Exactly. You know, I, I love Bloodfest recently because it was just a it's a it's a fun movie. The polar opposite. It's of the polar opposite. It's and sometimes polar opposite. there's a place to horror for that as well. But like real horror, horror is helplessness. And heredity is. I can tell you this, Hambone, anytime you want. And I, I got to do it too. I got to rewatch it. I think we should rewatch it together. We can hold hands on the couch, put it down on the big screen, and project it. We got to watch Hereditary. Down I would. Here. I would prefer to watch it upstairs where there's light, but okay. No, no. I think. But we know what we're getting now, I so I don't yeah. need to cringe. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a little better. now. I stopped it twice because uh, I was so uncomfortable. Just to throw one last thing out, and we'll we'll, we'll put a bow on, on on this part of the show. The I find that some of the remakes of the Japanese stuff. Give and take. Like the ring, I actually love Ring with the original ring because it showed the girl as more of a mutant. I think of her as like an X Men who has like telepathic, like telepathic, right. uh, not telepathic, got uh, telekinesis, and they just don't know what she is. I like that angle, but I find the ring way more scary. The remake I found to be more scary just because they went in on really creepy little girl stuff. And I think they did that right. I think some of the Japanese stuff work well. Some of it not so much. I love the movie The Eye. I like the Japanese version a lot more than the remake. Uh, I think Dark Water 2, the original, was much better. But I give the Japanese stuff. The worst, though, Martyrs, the remake. Martyrs is my favorite horror movie of all time. I don't know if you've seen it. Of course. And I actually just watched the remake. It's on my October first part of my What did you think of it? Now, the thing is, is that I would put the original French Martyrs at the top of French horror and horror in general. It's an incredible masterpiece. Don't get me wrong. I have nothing bad to say about it. So I avoided the remake for a very long time. And I finally found it in Europe for cheap on a DVD. And I'm like, fuck it, I'll buy it. And it sat there for a little while. And then I finally said, I'm going to put it in. And I have to say, I did not hate it as much as I thought I would. (laughs) I think it was unnecessary. Like you can't make a better movie than the original martyrs, but all it seemed to do was, hey, let's make a version for people so they don't have to re- read subtitles. Right. And let's change a couple things. It's not exactly the same. Let me in the, the vampire movie is another one. Right. Let the right one in and let yeah. me in. Why yeah. did you make a movie that came out two years ago and was That's, flawless in Spain? You yeah. made the same one. It's good. Yeah. It's fine. Right. It's a good movie. Absolutely. But why did you bother yeah. making it? Yeah, it's, I don't know. I find it, <sighs> it, you know, only seriously, like you said, executives going, American people can't read subtitles. Hambo they won't can't accept read it. subtitles. Well, I, I when I watch my <laughs> anime, I, I do read the subtitles. So I, I would be remiss though for talking about remakes uh, without saying one word to you, Dave, to get your thought on it. Suspiria. That's a really tough one because if you know me, then you know Suspiria is in my three favorite films of all time. It changed my life. I've seen it so many times in every format. I love it. At first, I thought. Suspiria remake, it's a travesty. Don't this is, you know, ban it. Don't ever watch it. Now that I've seen what it's gonna look like, I've actually heard some reviews and talked to some people who have seen it. 
I I'm open to it. I plan on being there first night, front row. Cool. I'll probably be there with you. Good. I've never seen Suspiria. Oh. Are you gonna say something? I don't no. know. No, <laughs> not because I just it's on my pile that yeah. I have not gone through. No, I, I think that's actually fantastic. I mean, a lot of times, you know, someone says, "Oh, I haven't seen this," and everyone jumps down their throat. Like, how could you have not seen that? I used to have that perspective. Now my perspective shifted because now I look at it like, "Oh man, I'm happy for you because you get to have like this really cool experience of seeing it for the first time." Like, Dave has seen Suspiria probably more than almost any other horror <laughs> movie. You know, you know it like the back of your hand. You could have written it yourself at this point, but you'll never have that first. And I don't even want to talk about it because you, you just need to see it, George. Yeah. And that that's cool too. Do you have a Blu-ray player? Yeah. Do you have the Blu-ray, the new one that just came out? I I, I'll, I have no problem getting it. Okay, it's mind blowing. I've seen the movie. I've owned it in every format. The new Blu-ray from Synapse is like. It's like 3D. It's so good looking. I've just heard. watch yeah. it that way for the first time, and you can see texture on everything. It's just incredible. So it really is. we need to do it. I think. I think going forward, we'll figure it out. Once I get through this whole launching all these phones, they're all coming at the same time. We got to set up right after my Thai happy hour. We sit down and watch a movie too. I love it because then at least you don't have to like find another day to hang out with me. You can just like <laughs> tag along. We can just go sit down here, move over to the couch. Whatever guests are here can also come in. We watch a horror movie. Perfect idea. Because Allison doesn't really love watching them, and we can just do that. What do you think? I love it. All right. Let, let's move on to haunted houses, haunted things. We don't have a ton of time, but I, I'm just going to go into my main one, and that was Eastern State Penitentiary does a uh, horror behind the walls, something behind the walls. And they take Eastern State, if you haven't been to it, it's a old, it's, it's a true penitentiary Unlike Alcatraz, which was only open for like 10 years, and they like do tours there. It's like, right. it's pristine. I don't know if you've ever been to Alcatraz. It's like, why is why are there tours here? There's no, there's no hidden secrets or hordes. It was open for 10 years. The, the government shut down or something. Eastern State was a place where they literally believed in you do penance to God and Christ, and you will like find, like it was a true like hard labor penitentiary in the middle. It's the heart of, of, Pennsylvania, of Philadelphia. Parts of it are collapsing. Yeah. It's, some of it's in really good shape. A friend of ours, Mike Dolan's brother, used to run it. He was the manager of oh, it. no kidding. They do tours. It's a historical place right now. Right. Well, they close down a section of the prison every year, and they do a full-on next-level costuming and storyline, and they have full access to the prison. So you, like, turn a corner, and there are, like, corpses on the wall shaking, electric chairs going. Like, it is so scary, but it's the atmosphere of this old old ass penitentiary this crumbling penitentiary that takes it to the next level i went with allison that was the last time she's ever been with me to a haunted house <laughs> it was so much worse because she was so f caught up in her own head that she was grabbing my hand and like i still have a scar you can see it right there from when she grabbed me so hard i was bleeding and there was even a scare moment she just was afraid to turn the corner yeah so i've never gone to a haunted house with her since but eastern state penitentiary is like my go-to if you ever have a chance you have to get tickets in advance. It's amazing and it's scary as hell. Dave, what about you? What's what's some of the uh, haunted houses you've been to that have been like? Uh, I, to be honest with you, I'm a horror fanatic, but I don't really do a lot of those uh, walkthroughs. I mean, I've been to a few in my life, haunted houses here and there, but you guys probably know a lot more about them than I do. So I don't really have a pick. I'm a, I think this weekend I'm going to go do the little one that's in like River Edge or New Milford or something. There's there's like this you know, small one and local. 
you know, I'm cool. I actually get scared at those things, to be honest with you. Oh, you're terrified. <laughs> I'm like afraid to turn the corner. I'm like, I don't want I don't know what's gonna happen. My, my least favorite kind of horror is shock scares. So I like hereditary because you know what's coming at all times. Love the conjuring. I love Exorcist. I love movies where it's not just something jumps out and shocks you for no reason. It's a cat or something. It's always a cat. So that's why uh, for me, haunted houses aren't my favorite thing in the world either. Yeah. But there's a lot of them around here. So what do you what what's your favorite hand? Tuxedo, New York is the forest of fear. I've never been there. It's up where they do the Renaissance Fair. I know where yeah. And it's awesome because so they do a spectacular job with the Renaissance Fair. Like Renaissance Fair, if you ever are planning on going to a Renaissance Fair, make your way to Tuxedo, New York. It is the creme de la creme of Ren Fairs. That said, with what they do with the Forest of Fear, what I've noticed from going to different haunted houses is that I think they're you either have to go, it's going to be hokey with a bunch of jump scares where you know they built this up and it's more of like a funhouse environment than when they try to make the effects too good. So the Forest of Fear is more of a funhouse kind of jump scare, spooky rooms, a lot of like effects, a lot of props. But you you kind of know where you are at all times and you know it's, it's, it's a funhouse. Whereas, you know, there's a lot of them that are out and about now where they're really trying to go for those top tier effects, but you can't achieve them on the budget that they have to make it. So it kind of almost takes you out of it more. So you're kind of distracted by the, the, the crappy effects. And then someone just jumps out and starts screaming at you dressed as a clown. And then you're just, your night's ruined. So I would recommend for me like tuxedo. Cause they, you know, you could, they also have ax throwing other things there. Cause it's the Ren fair basically. Uh, do they have the axe throwing during the 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 Forest of Fear too? Or no, that's the Ren Fair is closed. No, they have a they have a section for axe throwing Very and ninja cool. stars and and knives. I'm, I think I definitely got to check that out. We we got to figure out when we're gonna go to that. I just want to point out one of my favorite haunted houses in the world is and it, it this is not even scary. I love the haunted mansion in Disney, my favorite, especially the one in Disneyland which is the true original Haunted Mansion. Just going through that and seeing the original animatronics, and at some point that may have been scary, but still seeing how incredible it is. You basically sit in this weird, uh, it might be a... It's like a a, a reverse teacup. It's like like an eggplant. A reverse teacup, but there's something over your head because the music's coming in through the speakers in the... the It's kind of like an egg egg chair if you're into mid-century modern furniture. It's like the egg chair, and it rotates, and you're basically going up and down this easy roller coaster, and you see ghosts, apparitions, animatronics just going. I love that. I love... Uh, that if you go right now uh, in either Disney World or Disneyland, they skin it with Nightmare Before Christmas. Yep. And it's just like a, a fl- they flip a switch and it's all of a sudden Ooga, Bo- Ooga Booga or whatever its name is. Oogie Boogie. And fantastic. Definitely worth your while. I love the Haunted Mansion. I know that's – I'm so dad mode now. It's so bad. so dad mode. So dad mode. That's I'm cool. excited to go to Disneyland. Disneyland is one of my favorite places. I'm excited for you to go to Disneyland now that Gabe is like a little bit older. We went to Disney World. Disney World sucks. So, like, I'm not a Disney weirdo. I love Disneyland. I find I, – I love – you can tell my tiki weirdness over here. I love that that 60s kitsch culture, that the, – the original rides there. There's Disney World doesn't have the original rides. Disneyland has just – it's what Disney created. Disney wanted that world – like, that was his vision. He created it. He enjoyed it. Whereas Disney World was people took his vision and made Epcot and – Never changed Epcot, and now Epcot's kind of just turning into this, like, sad place. I love Disneyland. It's punk rock, too. Like, 
Everything about it's great. So I'm excited to go there. This is the portion of the show, Dave, where we talk about just cool shit in our lives, things we love or excited about, things we found, things we're looking forward to in the next week or so. Cool shit we love. Hamlin, you went to a show. I have a feeling I know what yours is this week. Uh, I was going to say Murder by Death. I went to see Murder by Death uh, last night at the Bowery Ballroom, and they barely made it to the show. What do you mean? Well, there you was... You or they? I, no, they did. They were... Uh, they're on tour, so they were in the area in Philly. They went up to Pittsburgh. Coming back from Pittsburgh, there's this crazy auto wreck on the highway. So they were stuck in traffic for five hours, and they made it about an hour before they're supposed to take the stage. So their opening act it was still stuck in traffic while they were on stage, so they just did a longer set last night. Now, I've known them for almost 15-something years, maybe more, so it was really nice to catch up with some old friends. Their set and sound was incredible. And you you kind of, like, you heard every song you wanted to hear last night, and you things that you didn't think you were going to hear because, you know, there's an opening act and then them, but they just played a longer set, and it was fantastic. What kind of music are they? I've never, I don't think I've heard of them before. Jen's like, if you could imagine what a serial killer would be if he was a band, it would be Murder by Death. No Cookie Monster vocals, though, right? No Cookie Monster okay, vocals, Okay, that's my yeah. rule of thumb. Yeah. Like, just don't give me Cookie Monster vocals. No, it's, it's, it's of, very sick. atmospheric, very cool. It's if Johnny Cash had, like, a weird, dark murder band behind him with a cellist sick of it all is my level that i can handle <laughs> anything above or below luke kohler's vocals i can stomach but anything like i just you know yeah the hardcore scene in the early 2000s did not work well for me when everybody's name was like blood for blood <laughs> and blood by death and bleeding this bleeding edge like yeah i don't know give me the sense doggy dog i'm i'm good i'm good I, yeah i mean you know i hate to say i'm too old but it, Vocals you can understand might be a little bit easier on the ear on the old ears. That's why know? I always liked Iron Maiden. Yeah, I always loved Iron Maiden because I could hear what he's saying. I could make out his lyrics. I could sing along. They were definitely a metal band, but it, you know the other music at that time. It's like I don't really like this type of music because I can't understand. I can't sing along. I don't feel like I could be the lead singer of this band. Right. Not that I could sing like Bruce Dickinson. I can't sing at all. But you know. I don't, uh, not my thing. I am sounding like the old man. Dave, what favorite stuff do you, what, what, what cool shit do you have going on? What I mean, are you excited for? I guess Asperia might be it, but. Well, you, no, I mean, a- Halloween tomorrow. On Tuesday, a double feature of Maniac and New York Ripper at Alamo Draft House wow. in Yonkers, which is my favorite movie theater. I love it. It's a little bit out of the way, so I go there for special occasions. This is This being it, with the director, William Lustig, going to be there to present Maniac. Chiller Theater. Next weekend, following weekend, so that's uh, a horror convention in Parsippany that I I know it miss. very well. We've okay. been going for years. Okay, so I'll be there, and then uh, Halloween. You know, so this is my favorite month of the year, and then the two shows we got coming up the weekend after. So I've I've got a nice uh, little schedule to look forward to for the next few weeks. Very very cool. I uh, I love the Alamo in Brooklyn. I don't know if you've been there yet. Not yet. So that the Yonkers one's great. I love Alamo. Like I love Alamo. The whole theory, yeah. like the whole what it is, what it represents. I find that the Yonkers one is a little too much of like an AMC dinner theater where they just kind of turned it into an Alamo. Yeah. They got the lighting that annoys me. I'm very particular about my lighting, and they got that like rim lighting that yep. I have to cover up. Yeah. The one in Brooklyn, they built it out from scratch, and they have it like it's next level. They have. It's almost like a school situation where the 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 uh, it's got the fold out tray table. Mm. So and the lights are underneath it, so you can put the menu under the desk to look at it. So there's yeah. no lights up in front. Uh, it's it's a very well made theater. It, not the best for long movies because there's no give at all on the seats. Yeah. Stadium seating, 
really, really worth if you ever can get into Brooklyn. Parking is not too bad. It's about the Barclays Center. So if you go a little out of the way, you could walk and park in the street and walk. But I do recommend the Brooklyn one as well. One day I'll check it out. I've been to the one in um, in Austin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it was the first one. It might be. It was the first uh, one. And I actually was there uh, on vacation and I was like, I'm not going to miss it and saw a cool movie there. But uh you know, like Alamo in Yonkers is just the easiest one to get to from from North Jersey. So, you know, I'll, uh, lighting aside, I'll take it. I'm just really happy that they're showing like incredible mm-hmm. horror films and Italian horror. A lot of them are in 35 millimeter. That's that's definitely one of my happy places. I'm, if I lived any closer, I'd be there like way too much. Oh, I thought you asked to interject and tell him how when you win the lottery, Hambone. No, that's my move. <laughs> He's no, mo- he's making Alamo. That is my plan. <laughs> when I win the lottery, I'm opening an Alamo draft house. Oh, my God. Yeah, no. there's a movie theater around the block from where I live in Kearney that's been shut down for years. I mean, that would be my first move. I'm yeah. going to gut the place. Uh, the gutting would take too much. you got to retrofit okay. that thing. That's rough. Do me a favor. Once you open it, please uh, let me know because uh, you can hire me for like... You know, certain nights and, and we'll present some incredible I would let you curate films. all my heart. Yeah, you'll, it'll be great. Oh, absolutely. All right. I think this has been a great episode of My Thai Happy Hour. You're getting your Aloha phone ready. I am. Well, uh, thank you very much, Dave, for joining us oh, today. Thank I'm, you I'm going so to, I'm, much, I'm George. I'm going to play you out. Since neither of you have headphones, you can't hear what I'm playing anyway. No. So I will, uh, I, will, I will actually add his theme music afterwards because I don't have it on me right now. Uh, but first off, Dave, let us know how can the kids reach you? Uh, well, I only have one social media outlet. That's it. Instagram. Dog Eat Dave. <laughs> that's great. So that's why you call him Dog Eat Dave. Yeah. yeah. I really thought that was just like witty, like, you know, well, what, like what, Pirate George. Well, well, it is like Pirate George. But when I met Dave, I had like three Daves in my phone. So it was just the easiest to, to differentiate him from the other Daves. You have, uh, but I think Doggy Dog also has a Facebook page. Is that the best uh, way, or do you have a website that they can reach you? Well, Doggy Dog on Facebook. I I'm not a Facebook person. I I don't even know what it looks like. But well, someone uh, has to handle that. There's yeah, my singer I think handles that. So you can definitely for you tour know, dates check things out. Like that. Yeah, and we have Doggy Dog uh, Official dot com, and that'll put definitely the tour dates on there and and some basic information. A lot of things going to change as we sign with this new label. Right, we're going to have a more professional, you know online presence but right now we're just doing everything ourselves so well i actually found you guys on a fan site uh, i did the search and found the fan site that had all their so i wanted to find the dates of the shows i had seen right <laughs> there's some guy in like either the netherlands or, yeah that actually has a site that lists every show they've played yeah. ever with flags and lists and that's where i was like they hit 1996 and there's no more american flags yeah like the american flags stop so yeah. glad to see some more american flags on the list yeah, look forward to seeing you guys soon cool Let's switch over to Hambone. How can the kids reach you? You can find me on Instagram. I'm John Hambone McGuire, where I'm always promoting the podcast that I'm producing. You know where to find Mai Tai Happy Hour. You can also check out Casual Interactions and the Vintage RPG Podcast by clicking the link in my bio. I even gave you a nice bit.ly link. So you can actually get to Hambone by just going to bit.ly front slash Hambone138. And that'll wow. get you right to your uh, that'll get you right to your your link your trip my your, link tree your link tree. You are so, God oh, among I, men. I take I take care of you, and that's because I know uh, who butters my bread, George. And that's because of uh, our New York Comic Con video, which everybody should check out. Got a lot of great reviews for that, which is weird. I absolutely loved making it. I loved all the weirdos that came out to let us interview them. Check it out on our YouTube page, uh, and I should have it up on mytitv.com this week. I forgot to put it up. 
Also, you can reach me at cultofgeorge.com, where I write about all this weird stuff. I'll probably have a transcription of this interview up soon, and you can check out the punk rock canon there. It looks like the Descendants got in because I didn't throw the... So the Descendants are going to be the first band to ever have two albums in the punk rock canon. I think I screwed myself on that. You can reach me at GLK Creative on Instagram, GLK Creative on Twitter. I am George. This is Hambone. This is Dave. Thank you for coming on. Take us out, Hambone. Everybody remember, be nice. Aloha.